Well, good day, everyone. Happy Easter. It's really great to have you, whether you're part of the Fellowship family or you're a guest. It's our honor to have you here. And the forecast on this Easter was for snow. We had planned to sing, I'm dreaming of a white Easter. But uh, instead, we have something far better, far better. We have the greatest news ever given, right? Christ is risen. He's risen. That's right. And it's told to us in Luke chapter 24. It says, on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went out to the tomb, and they noticed that the stone that covered it was rolled away. And as they were perplexed about these things, behold, two men uh, stood by them, and they were dressed in dazzling apparel, and, and they became frightened, and they bowed their faces to the ground, and the two men said to them, why? Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember what he told to you when he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be uh, delivered into the hands of sinful men. He must be crucified, and on the third day, rise. And they remembered the words of Jesus. And they ran back and they reported these things to the other 11 and then to the rest. This is the greatest news ever given. Christ is risen. And it's told to us in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the New Testament as a story. There's something about a story that when we understand the story, we understand people. When we understand the whole story, we understand it. And we understand them. Your life is a story. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought your life is part of a grand story? I mean, you wake up every morning and you wake up in a setting and then you wake up with characters all around you. There are people you live with, people you work with, people you you go to school with. Your life might be a drama right now. It might be a comedy. It might be a tragedy. It might be a nightmare. But we all kind of associate with story, don't we? That's why when a new Netflix series comes out and we just go viral, viral with it the whole weekend, you know, we didn't realize it, but we're still in sweatpants on a, on a Sunday evening because we've just been watching every episode or a new blockbuster movie comes out and we get, we don't just go to the movie and save the tickets. We actually dress up like the figures and I mean, we look like Star Wars figures and we go and we watch those or Lord of the Rings. If there were more, we would dress the part because we're captivated by stories. And God is writing a story. He's a really good author. He's a really good God. And he invites this grand story. He invites us into his grand story for eternity. And he invites us to be a part of it. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not the beginning of the story. I know it's where the church really understood who Jesus was, and we continue to understand that and live that and promote that message. But the story began far before that. You know, you may be familiar with this term, in the beginning. That's Genesis 1-1. But that's not the beginning of the story. John actually picks up that there was God, a God before the beginning who was not created, he's always been, and this God was good. I want to share this story with you in four major acts. The first act is an act of a good God. There is goodness in this world, and this God who was good created goodness. And as he lived in this world, he was never alone. It was one God living in three persons, Father, Son, Spirit. It is a mystery, but it's a reality. 
And this God was in relationship with himself. Paul, um, writer of John, John writes in John 1, he says, He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and with him was not anything made that was made. And so we get a picture of God being in relationship, a loving good relationship with himself. Some of us might have a picture of God where he's distant from us, he's far away, and he's removed, and he's isolated. That's not the God of the scriptures. He's very much in relationship with himself. He he was never alone. He was always with, and he created us to be in relationship with him. And that's why some of our greatest memories are memories with others because we're relational we're created in his image that's why some of our worst memories are those memories attached to relationships gone bad or broken relationships because we were made for god and we are restless in relationships until we find him this is this wonderful glorious god who is good and before the beginning god was and he was good Jesus even said that you loved me before the foundation of the world. So here we have another picture of God in relationship, inviting with together. Act one is a picture of goodness. Act two actually happens again before Genesis one, and it's a picture of evil. Our story has a a villain Our story is about evil around us because things are not as they should be. But where did this come from? We don't get a ton of scripture on this, but we do get a hint in the book of Ezekiel where God was confronting a wicked king on earth and he was confronting this wicked, evil king on earth with language that really sounds like, you remind me just of the time Satan rebelled against me. And in Ezekiel chapter 8, it talks of, gives a picture of Satan. And unlike what Hollywood kind of crafts for Satan, this one is not a, a dude in a red unitard with a tail and, you know, horns like that that prances around. It's kind of creepy. This angel that was created by God was a beautiful angel. And it shows some of, it, some, some of the picture of it in Ezekiel 28. It says, you were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. God created this glorious angel, and he didn't just have a beauty, didn't just have wisdom. He also had a position. He had power. Look what it says. He says, you are anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You are on the holy mountain of God. Beautiful, powerful. And we aren't really told how it goes, but something happened, a thought, an attitude, led to an action of rebellion, of Satan against God. And it's detailed in verse 17. It says, your heart was proud because of your beauty. You, you, you corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. And there was the rebellion. He no longer wanted God. He no longer thought God was good and he rebelled against him. And therefore evil spread. Evil spread all around. And as a result of that, you have a picture of good and evil in the world. If your story doesn't have a picture of evil, you're going to have to try really hard to explain the reality around us today. Our story has a picture of evil. And therefore, God, due to his rebellion, cast him to the ground. He cast him away from his presence. A good God, did you know this? A good God always stands and opposes evil. 
One of the ways we see God opposing evil is by the very creation that he has of agents who oppose evil, and those are angels. And angels aren't like, again, we see in a lot of the artistic drawings of them, they aren't Swedish dudes caught in the 80s with their hairstyle. You know, they, these, are, these are warriors. They're powerful. They're beautiful angels. And they're more like Delta Force, Navy SEALs kind of creatures that protect the goodness of God and represent him and, and uh, are agents for him. And as we realize the power of evil... We have to come to the reality that the power of evil is greater than us. Jesus said that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's the picture and the focus of what evil does in our world today. We have a villain. Last night, we had a Villanova. And when they score 13 three-pointers in the first half, there is no hope. There is no hope. What do you do? Because that's the picture of evil around us. And you really don't know how evil you are. Did someone do something? Okay. You don't know. You don't know how evil you are until you try to be good. And, and the whole picture of what God is showing here is there is good, there is evil. And now the story begins. And Act 3 is an act of conflict. And if you look at your Bible and you were kind of separate this, you have two chapters in the beginning where you see a good God creating good things. And then you see from Genesis 3 all the way till the almost the last two chapters of the end of the book of Revelation where you have this conflict of good and evil and good is coming and taking back what evil has taken from him. And there goes our story in the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we get a pretty awesome picture of God as creator, not just the author of our story, but the creator of all things. He's far more creative than we give him credit for. In Genesis 1, we, we just see him creating all these things. We see him creating sun, moon, and stars. We see him, uh, I mean, just developing this world, forming and filling it. It's It's simply amazing to see. At one point, he said to the ocean, you can go this far and no further. I mean, I love that part. That's why I edge my lawn, because I can go grass. You can grow this far, but no further, because I'm made in the image of God. I like to say no to things, and that's grass is the only thing that will listen to a pastor some days, right? But God is creative and he's powerful and he's, 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 um, he's wonderful and he's glorious and there's beautiful diversity in his creation. I mean, right now, if there, it's estimated there's 250,000 species of plants on this earth. There's 4,000 mammals on this earth, uh, 4,000 species of mammals. Right now on this earth, there's 300 billion birds, 40 times more birds Then there are people, and none of them have a refrigerator or a food pantry. None of them do. And God opens up his hands. He satisfies the desire of every living thing. This is the kind of God, the good God, we have. And then he gave Adam and Eve. On the sixth day, he created Adam and Eve. He gave them life, and he 
invited them to love. Look at how it's shown. It says, God said, let us, there's the plural, Father, Son, Spirit, make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the airs and and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. I hate creeping things, by the way. Never did like them. I googled yesterday how many insects there are in the world, just wanted to know, does anyone count these things? And the estimate that scientists have said is that there's 10 quintillion insects on this earth right now. That's larger than the U.S. debt. (laughs) But it's, it's one with 19 zeros behind it. That's a massive number. In the simplicity and the complexity, it seems like the smaller we would get, the more simpler, but we're seeing this dynamic picture. And if you're in science, you know this. You, you discover this beautiful creation of nature, what God has done. But the greatest gift that God gave them was love. Adam and Eve could reason. They could share intimacy together. They could um, know joy. They could love each other. And God said over and over in all his other creation, you just see his fingerprints. It was good. It was good. It was good. Why? Because God is good. And his mercy endures forever. And on this sixth day, after he created male and female humanity, he said, it was very good. It was very good. There's something about us. And just think about this. I know there's a lot of theology books on original sin, and, and a lot has been written on that. But just take a look at Genesis 1 and 2. There's original glory that God has crafted in us that we cannot deny. Everyone is significant. Everyone has dignity in the eyes of God. Everyone matters. Everyone's invited into his story. And so this good God then said this. It says, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. That's the first time death is mentioned in the scriptures. And how, what, how do we to understand this? Why would God create everything that's good and say you could eat out of every tree, but say I have one right in the middle of the garden that says, don't eat from that one. Don't eat. Why would God say no to us? Because we have this kind of perception of no, that whoever you love, you would never say no to. (laughs) And that's garbage. You haven't had kids if you say that. (laughs) There's a lot of things my kids wanted to do when they were growing up that I knew would kill them or hurt them, that I had to say no because I love them. And God was saying here, if I'm going to make a world where everything is good and where the greatest gift is love, and the end of my story and the beginning of my story begins with love, then you will have to choose to love me. And any true authentic love is a choice. Because you love me now doesn't work in middle school and it doesn't work in the rest of your life. You can't compel people to love you. You have to give them a decision to choose to love you. And that's why God said, every day you live in this garden, there'll be the choice. Will you love me? Will you love me? So God called them into this relationship. And it was the very picture in Genesis 3 where the story takes a tragic turn. 
takes a tragic turn because evil comes in, and evil comes in the form of a serpent, which is more crafty than the other animals, and it says this, did God actually say, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tr- any tree in the garden? Do you see how he crafted God's word? He kind of recrafted God's word. So it's not just you can eat out of any tree. It's that did he really say you can't eat out of any tree? In other words, God is so narrow. He's so limiting. He's keeping you from your potential. He's not good because if he was good, he would never say no. And those of you who have been abused or those of you who have been exploited, you've usually been sold a lie sometimes that if you love me, you'll do this. And that tears us away from God's best for us. And here in this good creation, evil came in, tempted, and ultimately said this, you will not surely die. You can do this and nothing's affected. You'll actually be better if you go my way rather than God's way. And so they bought it. They bought it. Eve and Adam ate of this fruit and everything changed in them and everything changed around them. The whole world was fallen. Uh, Another word for it is stolen away from God. That good creation that God built, that good world, those good people, beautiful, glorious people were stolen away and evil now reigns. And we see this, we see this immediately after they fell. Because as they're walking with God, and again, they used to walk with God. Now God is coming to them. And he's saying this, I heard this, Adam is saying, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Like before they fell into sin, they were like a two-year-old running through your living room totally naked, you know? There's no, no problem there. I mean, they just let it all hang out and they run and they smile and everyone goes, naked boy, naked boy, and we laugh. They're so innocent There's no picture of shame and guilt with nakedness. But after they fell, they become like adolescents going through puberty. They change behind a door, behind a door, behind a locked door. There's shame and there's guilt. They aren't good with their bodies anymore. They aren't good with their relationship with each other. They're not good with their relationship with God. And so we've been covering They covered and we cover. They hide, tried to hide, and God is always saying, like he said to them, where are you? Where are you? This God is writing his story. And sin at this point goes viral. In Genesis chapter 6, just a few chapters later, it says that every intention of the thoughts of men, of his heart, was only evil continually, all the time. Sin just goes viral in this passage. And then it goes even into uh, Old Testament and New Testament events so that John would say, like we would say today, that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. This is the reality of the world today. Why would God allow evil to be on his good earth? Because he gave us the choice and we walked away. Who will save us? That's the cry of this grand story. Who will rescue us? And that's where the story finds hope. Because when the time was right, God sent his son into this world. His name was Jesus. And he lived with this mission. 
He said, the son of man came to seek and save those who were lost. This was the mission. This was the vision of Jesus to seek and save those who were stolen away by the evil one to come and recapture what was taken from him. And Jesus did that. He did this primarily in three ways. Number one, he lived perfectly. If we could be good enough, if we could go to enough church services, if we could say nice things and have our good deeds outweigh our bad deeds, Jesus would have never had to come. But he realized what we realized. He realized that every intention in our thoughts and our hearts is evil. Most of the time. And so he realized we couldn't live perfectly. That's why he came and he lived perfectly. He died on a cross to pay the price for our sin. That's why the cross is the picture of the completed work of Christ for us. And then he rose again on the third day. And by his rising from the dead, he literally defeated sin and the power of death in our lives. This is the Jesus who came. And he was born in Bethlehem. A lot of people look at Bethlehem and look at that innocent little manger scene and think it was such a beautiful, quiet, uh, silent night. But in reality, it's more like the opening scene of Saving Private Ryan. You have the evil on the, on the beaches and you have the Marines storming it and there's, there's resistance and there's Herod the Great in Bethlehem who goes and kills all the little infants because he was threatened by this little child-born king of the Jews. That was his title. No little kid's going to take it from me. So he wipes them all out and Jesus is born and Jesus lives. And he lives that perfect life and he dies on a cross for us. And he rises from the dead. Jesus said the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I came, I came, that they may have life and have it abundantly. It's also mentioned in uh, the book of Colossians that Jesus, or God, has delivered us from the domain of darkness. And he transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Do you see what's happening in the story? We have a good God who's confronting evil, and he's winning us back. And so the New Testament church found their whole restoration to God, to each other, and even for the future in the person and the work of Jesus. It's all about Jesus, which leads us to our final act, and that is the act of restoration. When Jesus will return and restore all things, Peter is a great example of what happened for someone who actually believed who Jesus was and lived in the power of the resurrection. See, before the resurrection, what did he do? When Jesus was arrested, he said, I never knew the guy. No way. I don't know. He even cursed out. This is a religious dude cursing out in public someone who accused him of being a follower of Jesus. But after the resurrection, my goodness, Peter became a ardent follower of Jesus. He lived for Jesus and he died for Jesus. And he would say, when he wrote the account of the gospel, he said that God has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The resurrection was, was what made his story become living again. It gave him life. It gave him hope in the reality of who Jesus was and what he did for him. But then the story's not over there with the resurrection of Jesus. Church, we were to look forward to what's called in the last chapters of the scriptures, a new heaven and a new earth. Now think with me. 
if this creative God made this world, and it's still, in many cases, very beautiful, awesome, we can take adventures in this world and just see the fingerprints of God, don't you think, don't you think we can trust him in a new heaven and a new earth? A lot of people kind of construct a picture of heaven that it's... um, it's all the golf that you can play and never be charged. And you get to ride a cart too with a caddy. And then all the food you can eat and never get fat. I mean, I'm longing for that day. When we make heaven all about us, it's, it's a future on our terms. And it's related to your capacity to be creative or to find pleasure. And really what heaven's going to be about, it's going to be about God. It's not going to be about us. And we will at last be freed from the picture of selfishness that we operate on every day. And we'll be unlimited to express our worship and our glory and our joy and our, and our pleasure in God. He is not going to bore us in heaven. It's not going to be terry cloth robes and harps for eternity. It's not going to be you'll win at everything which would take all uh, discovery away from us. It's going to be unlimited in its engagement. We will always be energized. We will always be discovering great things with this great God. And we will see the limited amount of him that we have now, we will just see open up into a never-ending journey with him. We can trust him for this. And so the New Testament church saw their future because of the resurrection, and they saw the reality of their present because of it. And they saw this ultimately, this grand story of God with a grand invitation, an invitation to join God right now, right now in his story. And they got this from a story Jesus told. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus told the story, and I'll share the story with you. He said there was once a man who who was, was putting on a great banquet and he invited many to come. And he said, save this date because it's going to be an awesome banquet. And when the time for the banquet came, he sent out his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, come, for everything is now ready. I prepared the food. I prepared the entertainment. I prepared this wonderful time for you. It's all been ready. It will cost you nothing. Just walk through the door. It's ready for you. And as the servant went and invited the people who were invited, each one alike made up an excuse. The first one said, I just bought a field and I must go out to see it. Therefore, please make me excused. The second one said, well, I just bought five yoke of oxen and I need to go examine them. Please make me excused. And the third one said, well, I just got married. And you know how that goes. So therefore, I cannot come. Please make me excused. And so the servant comes back to the master and tells them the the whole situation. And the master of the house began to get angry and said, well, then just go out into the streets and in the lanes of the city and you go out and you invite people who would never normally be invited. You ask ask the people who are begging on the streets, the the crippled, the poor, the blind, the the lame. You, You go invite them in that my house might be full. And the servant said, master, I've already done that, and there's still room. 
So the master says, well, go outside of the city, go to the highway, go out to the hedges of property and compel people to come in that my house may be full. There's two things I want you to remember about this invitation. Number one, everything is now ready. Everything is now ready through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And I know that it's real easy in America to think that God helps those who help themselves. So you just got to be better, try harder, do more, get more, and God will owe you something at the end of it. And that couldn't be further from the truth. We're all living in our own little stories of rescue. We're all trying to be our own personal saviors when a true savior came and lived and died and rose for us. We have to come to the point where we recognize it's not going to happen if it's with me. It's happened because everything is ready. Jesus has done everything for us. We simply need to say, yes, I accept that invitation to come and show up with him. It's all about Jesus. He's made everything ready. And the second thing we need to realize about this invitation is that God wants his house to be full. We have a really good God whose mercy endures forever. None of us deserve this. None of us are here this morning because we lived an exceptionally better life than an atheist. And God owes it to us. No way. None of us. Some of us live worse than atheists this week. But we're here because none of us can have this, but all of us can have this through Christ. None of us deserve this, but all of us can have this. And heaven is a larger place than you think. And heaven will have more people than you can imagine because God is gracious. From every language, tribe, and tongue, everyone is invited to this banquet. Everyone is invited. Not all will come, but we can only come because of Jesus. That's the invitation of God. And so your response to this, your response to this is just simply the answer to this question. Are you in God's story? Are you in the story that God has made for you? As you think about your, consider, your answer to this question of this invitation, every one of those people who were invited by the master of the house, by the servant, every one of those people had their own little stories mixed in and their own little excuses of what keeps you away. But ultimately, everything is ready. And so therefore, since Christ has done that, there's an opportunity to redeem our story, to take my story and give it to God and have him redeem it. The work of Jesus literally is called redemption. It means that he purchased us back, those who were sold into slavery to sin. And that work of Jesus is something he's completed. It's, it's done. There's nothing we can do to earn or deserve this. And so therefore, the New Testament response to the resurrection of Jesus is to believe. Believe in Jesus and you will be saved. John writes, and it's one of the most popular passages in scripture. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Do you see the grand story in this one verse? God so loved. He's always been loving because God is good. His mercy endures forever. And he loved us so much that he saw us in our sin and he sent his son because he knew we, we couldn't live it. We couldn't even die for it. And we certainly cannot rise from the dead without him. And he 
He's, he offers this invitation that whoever believes, whoever believes, will not perish, but have eternal life. I want to give you an opportunity to believe right now. I remember um, just this past Thursday night, we had a celebration of people who had gone through a 10-week uh, study that we'd, we've done here called Rooted. And it really shows you who is Jesus and how can you have a relationship with him. And at the celebration service of this 10 weeks, people completing this, we had people stand up and say, I believe. They wanted to have a moment, a defining moment in faith where they stood up and said, I believe this. I believe that he's not just the savior of the world. He's my savior, that he lived and he died and he rose again for me. I believe that and I'll stand up and do that. So one by one, we had like 46 people out of the 200 who stood up for the first time and said, I believe. And I mean, this place just came unglued with the excitement of what was happening there. And so I want to give you the opportunity. I'm not going to ask you to stand up and declare, but I'm going to ask you just to, in the quietness of your seat right now, Take some time with God. Now that you see that everything is now made ready for a relationship with him, will you come to the banquet that he's prepared for you in the presence of your enemy? He's prepared it for you, not to do anything, but just come to what he's done through Christ for you. You can do that right now by just saying, God, I get it, I get it. It's not what I'm doing, it's what you have done through Christ. And I believe Jesus is the son of God. He's the savior of my life. I believe in him right now. I turn from my sin and my way and my story. Redeem it. Redeem my story. And it says in John also, in John 1.12, it says that all who receive his work, all who receive that invitation, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. This is a great restoration back to God. You're not just put outside to do more work. You're brought into the family. And therefore, that's the great celebration of the church is that we come from a lot of different backgrounds, a lot of different situations, a whole bunch of stories, but we join God in his story and we're all related because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Once you believe, then you have that second invitation and that the opportunity for God to rewrite your story. God has been rewriting my story ever since I put my faith and trust in him. And that means every day I not only have to believe, but I begin, I begin. Sometimes I begin again with God because God is writing his story in your life. It's an opportunity for all of us to join him and make our lives less about us and more about him. We, are, we exist then to give glory to Jesus, to make him greater on earth as he is in heaven. And all of this has been made ready for us. And this path is, is charted out for us in a walk with God. He is good and his mercy endures forever. Would you pray with me? If you would like to take that step of faith, And for the first time, even though you may have been around this message, if this is the first time for you to respond in faith to the work of Christ, would you just pray this prayer to God? Just in the quietness of this room. Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to rescue me. He lived for me. I believe he died for me 
And I believe that he rose from the dead for me. Lord, begin. Rewrite your story in me. However that's going to look, rewrite your story in me. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. We can gather around this greatest news ever told. And it's the greatest invitation ever offered. And it's the greatest banquet to accept an invitation to. And we give you the praise and we give you the glory. And we thank you that you are good and that your mercy endures forever. It's in the name of Jesus and for his glory that we pray. Amen.